All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Todd Miller. Todd is president of Isaiah Industries based near Dayton, Ohio. Their company is a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing. They ship their products throughout North America as well as to Japan, Hawaii, and the Caribbean. A young baby boomer, Todd's entire career has been in manufacturing and marketing with Isaiah. He co-owns the business with his college roommate. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lisa. Really happy to be here. I love what you do. Well, thank you. Well, Todd, share with us a little bit about your background. It sounds like you've been with Isaiah pretty much your entire career, but you still had to make that choice at some point to join Isaiah. So what got you there? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And yes, yeah, so I had, uh, my father had started the business when I was in high school. So I did lots of working here in the summers and things like that during high school and college. <clears throat> I went to college for a degree in communications, which when I graduated, I realized it really prepared me to do almost nothing. Um, <laughs> it was about as meaningful as had I gotten an English degree, I discovered at the end. But anyway, it was really interesting. So I was going out doing a typical interviewing thing and realized that, you know, everyone was trying to put me in at entry level positions, which would have been great. You got to start someplace. But I had something already with my father's business based upon my years of experience there in summers and even doing some part time writing and design work for the business during the school year that yeah, I just was able to step into a role there uh, that had me at a little bit more than just an entry level position in terms of an industry that I somewhat knew something about. And then that started 40 years of more learning. Wow. So when it comes to you know, staying in your father's business, I mean, we, we all in our ideal perfect world, that's the succession planning. But we also hear of people that want something better for their kids, you know, and, and not the hard work that I've done. I want you to go to college and get that communication degree so you can do with it. <laughs> but what was that experience like? Was it was it good that you decided to stay with your father or was he was there any disappointment that you didn't go out into the world and find something of your own? You know, you always kind of wonder, well, what if or what could have been? But, you know, again, I kind of look at it that having been in one industry, one general position my entire career, I'd like to think that I've that's helped me develop a certain level of mastery. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm always learning and that's what I love the most about it. And, you know, I guess the thing is, if you're not, if you're always learning from where you are and you're always going higher up, you're never going back to an entry level position and having to rebuild. So I've really liked that. We had a fantastic relationship for many years in the business. My father was the engineer, uh, so he was the one that kept things going from a manufacturing standpoint. I was the silly marketing and sales guy. 
And then a couple of years after I was here was when my college roommate came into the business and he was our finance numbers purchasing person. And that was great because the three of us each knew where our roles were. We respected each other for where we were good, still loved to have input from each other, but it just really functioned well. Uh, my father, unfortunately, had a stroke at a fairly young uh, age, which took him out of the picture from a day-to-day -day standpoint. But we had some great team members who stepped into that engineering and manufacturing and maintenance role. Hardly missed a beat as a company, although eh, missed him on a regular basis. He has since passed away. Mm. So what is it that you love about the metal roofing business? You know, I really enjoy the people. I've been heavily involved over the years with a couple of major trade associations in our industry, the Metal Construction Association, which is a very technical research building codes oriented organization, and then also Metal Roofing Alliance, which is a market development association. And I've really loved that ability to work with my competitors and work for the betterment of the industry. And we've had an ideal industry for doing that because metal as a part of the market share of the overall roofing industry really was pretty small. I mean, 15 years ago is around 2%. We've grown it to 15%. And that's only happened because the various players didn't see each other as competitors. So our goal was, how can we grow this for all of us? And uh, it's interesting. We're still doing that. We still get along well. In fact, our uh, trade show, annual trade show is coming up next week for our industry and really looking forward to it because we didn't have it last year. And so it's been a while since I've seen all my colleagues. So I'm really looking forward to next week in Tampa. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you shared that with the trade association that you're a member of, because as many of these that I speak to, people think that they're going to give away all their trade secrets or they don't want to hobnob with their competitors. And that is such the wrong experience because these people, when you're going to your trade association, you're making friends and you're building relationships and you're meeting the families and all of that, that not only keeps you in the industry, but then it also get, builds a referral source because if somebody, another contractor can't handle a job or whatever, they're much more likely to refer it to somebody that they know, like, and trust versus, you know, some schmo down the street that they don't know at all. So being a part, and it sounds like you are pretty active with both of those associations, that says a lot for you, but it's also you're showing the growth in the industry from 2% to 15% just because of the efforts that you've put behind it. Yeah, and, and it's really been good too, because as I've gotten to know our, our competitors, there've been a lot of opportunities where I'm like, well, I really need this a piece of equipment and I don't have it, but they do. So maybe they can do this work for me and, and vice versa. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did uh, some embossing work for one of our competitors. So it's just really has built some solid relationships and always fun to go out and see how other people approach things in their manufacturing environments. That's certainly one of my greatest pleasures is getting the opportunity to tour other plants and you know people always think well they're going to steal my ideas and that really doesn't happen maybe in some very small areas but generally speaking plants kind of grow and they're built holistically and so you can't just go someplace else oh i'm going to steal their idea and completely redesign my entire plant floor to match theirs i mean that would just be silly but yet it's still fun to to visit and see other operations 
Well, and you're obviously very passionate about your company and about your industry. And I believe that that's one of the things that that has helped you to create the workplace culture that you have over there at Isaiah, because that really, when it comes from the ownership, that level of commitment and again, involvement in the industry. So I know that there are lots of things that you do with an average tenure of 17 and a half years of your team. But what are, are some of the, the things that you feel that have enabled you to create that culture? And, and what do you do to keep your employees when they could go down the street and maybe even make more money? Sure. I think a big part of it is early on in business, someone told me, never hire one of your friends. And I'm always like, okay, I kind of understand that, but I honestly didn't understand it. And so I started hiring friends and people that I knew and referrals. And, you know, what I found out of that was I ended up hiring people who had similar work ethics, similar culture, similar core values as what the rest of our organization did. So we actually only hire off of referrals. Now, I'm not like some of my manufacturing friends here in my local town who tell me, Todd, if I could hire 40 people tomorrow, I would. I don't have those kinds of needs. But what I have found is that we're able to always hire off of referral from friends and people currently working here. And um, I think we've hired, last I looked, about 12 people in the past year. Uh, Some of those were temporary seasonal, but we got them all off of referral. And part of that also is goes back to our faith life. So one of my daily prayers is, Lord, bring me the people that we need when we need them and give me the wisdom to recognize them. And so, you know, we'll frequently hire people without really fully knowing what they're going to do just because we feel like this is a great fit culturally for our organization. I think that in terms of what we get our whole company to really strive for, that really is customer service. And um, what we find is that when you get some good, good people together and they're all committed to meeting customer needs, and it really goes back to our team and, and their commitment. One of the things that I often tell our team here is that as a manufacturer of a product that gets resold, I tell them, you know, we don't sell anything. It's our customers who ultimately sell it. So our goal has to be to make our customers successful. Um, If they're not successful, we're not successful. And I know that you see a lot of social media on your company out there. There's a lot of things that your team does as uh, as a team, their friends outside the office. So share some of those things that you're seeing that are helping to promote Isaiah as a pretty cool place to work. Sure. And we see that, especially on the plant floor. I mean, guys getting together outside of work, um, folks helping each other with projects at their homes and that type of stuff. Uh, Most of our families are from the same community. So you get a little bit of where, you know, their kids may be going to school or playing ball together, that type of thing. A really fun thing we did this past summer, and I know other companies were doing this too, but uh, we had food trucks come in, I think, six times over the summer to provide lunch for everybody. And that was just a really fun time. And, you know, I, I'll hear people say, you know, I still like that one the best. And someone else will say, I like that food truck the best. But it was just a lot of fun and gave people a chance to, to relax and uh, have something different for lunch also. 
Now, when you bring in food trucks, is that something that you just supply the truck and people pick out and pay for their own lunch? Or do you, are you picking up the tab for lunch for the day? Sure. No, we pick up the tab for it. And what we really enjoyed was when a couple of times we found out, oh, we had a customer stop by and the food truck was here. So we got to buy them lunch too. So uh, <laughs> sometimes it went beyond just our team, which was a lot of fun. And the food trucks loved it. It was a great way to support some local entrepreneurs, people who are out there working hard to do something unique. So we really liked that aspect of it too. I think that that's one of the other things that has made Isaiah successful is your focus on customer service. Now, that's one of the things that you really excel at. So what are some of the things that you're doing to take care of your customers or that really differentiate you from others in the industry? Sure. I think a lot of it is the entire culture of the company, you know, revolves around that customer. We had a situation recently where we were trying to learn some new things. We had brought on a new product line a couple of years ago. It hadn't taken off like gangbusters, but here recently it had been growing. And one of the things I was picking up on was there are certain things we're doing with this product line that are not necessarily real helpful to our customers. What I found was folks in operations who were kind of developing our processes really weren't aware of exactly who the customer was for that product line. So I spent a lot of time um, really educating them on that customer and what their very specific needs were. And it was very eye-opening. And really what it boiled down to was they're accustomed to thinking that, okay, we're selling roofing products. It's going to a distributor. It's going to a contractor who knows how to unload product, knows how to deal with it. Well, in this case, this product line is being sold to sometimes a do-it-yourselfer, sometimes a very small contractor, um, but folks who didn't have that level of expertise on how to unload the product, how to properly transport it and so forth. So, um, you know, once they got that picture, then I really saw some great things happening because finally they were starting to say, well, what if we did this? That would make it easier for them. I'm like, right on. That's exactly what we need to do is uh, make it as easy and, uh, and safe for our customers as we possibly could. And how did you find out exactly what those customers needed? Was it based on your education of the product? Uh, did you talk to the customers? Did you reach out to the customers? Where did that education start? Sure. And I think that can be a challenge for a lot of manufacturing companies, especially ones that are getting closer to their consumer. I mean, it seemed like we went through a period in our country where a lot of the manufacturing was you were making OEM products that were just going to somebody else and they were actually the assembler even in some cases, selling direct to consumers. And so I think what happens there, sometimes you end up with your sales and your operations folks don't talk enough. And so sales is out here pushing hard and doing these unique things, changing industry, being disruptors. And so I think that that's really a key for us is making sure that we bring that closeness in between sales and operations to make sure that everyone's on the same page and operations knows as much as they possibly can about that end customer and the end use of the product. Right. So what are some of the things that are still keeping you up at night? 
You know, I, I suppose it's like a lot of manufacturers right now. It really is the supply chain issues. And, you know, that's probably starting to become a broken record amongst mm-hmm. most manufacturers. I spent most of this year saying and, and listening to my suppliers and saying 2022 is going to be better. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, what's going to be magical about 2022, Todd? <laughs> and, you know, now here we are you know, fourth quarter in 2022 is almost upon us. And I'm saying, at least it's not going to start out a whole lot different than 2021. And so some of these challenges um, are going to be here long-term. And, you know, one of the things that we're starting to hear more and more, and I hear from other manufacturers as well, is, you know, now it's coming down to not so much major supply chain disruptions as individual chemicals, individual small components that now are just throwing a monkey wrench into everything. And so sometimes it's boiling down, you know, that narrowly. So that certainly is a concern. I I think the other thing that keeps me awake is the cost of freight and transportation. You know, I'm seeing more and more orders where the freight is more expensive than the product itself. And wow. that's troubling. And I'm sure that that has to be happening in other industries as well. And so when you're dealing with the supply chain and when you're dealing with the freight charges, how what are some of the things you're doing to handle that? Is it communication? Is it passing on some of those costs to the customers? I mean, how are you getting through this? Well, certainly a lot of them do end up getting passed on. I mean, you're certainly always looking for how can you have more efficiencies internally in order to help offset some of those costs. You know, I I know that it's put a huge onus on our traffic management folks, the ones who arrange for shipping and things. But, you know, we're really just plain old having to get more creative in terms of looking for lower freight rates and not necessarily just always believing, wow, this company has been the best on price in the past, they will be in the future. And instead looking for other options as well. Um, What we're seeing more and more often is, especially as a manufacturer that's trying to serve the whole country that, you know, those freight costs. I remember the days when uh, I could get a truckload of material from here to California for $2,000, sometimes even a little bit less. And now you're talking $6,500 minimum. So it's just a really big change. And that really embeds a lot of cost in our products. So just having to be creative, you know, ultimately it may force a lot of manufacturers to look more at regional locations or regional breakpoints. So a couple of years ago, we put a warehouse facility in Dallas that serves as a distribution facility for us. And so that way I can ship full truckloads there and then use that as a break point rather than having to ship smaller orders where the freight mm. would really add up to be quite costly. Okay. And as you think of everything that you're doing at Isaiah, for uh, with your culture and with all of that of keeping your employees for somebody listening to today what would be your number one tip something that they can start to implement or at least start to think about to help them change that culture over time you know i'm kind of sounding like a broken record but it really would be to get your entire organization as close to the customer as you possibly can it's all about um, what that customer 
thinks of you and what their experience has been and how they share that experience with others. So I think that would be the big thing was, you know, don't think that you can be a manufacturer that's off by itself in a, on an island, just crunching pieces of metal or, or making pieces of plastic or whatever. Um, you've got to get your entire organization close to the customer. Wonderful. And from a networking standpoint, what would be one thing that you would like to learn from other industry colleagues about the way that they do their business? And what is something that if somebody wanted to connect with you that you'd be willing to share with them? Sure. You know, I, I think one of the big things right now really is learning more about how other companies are addressing this freight and shipping issue. You know, maybe there's ways in our own area. I, I maybe I don't know this. Maybe I regularly ship half truck loads to Dallas, and maybe another company here in Piqua, our hometown, ships half truck loads to Dallas. Why couldn't we combine those things? So I, I think that sort of learning more about that would would be very very important uh, to us. You know, I'm kind of an open book. I really am. I one of the things I love to talk about though, and Believe me, I, I'm not as good at this, I'm not as religious at it as I used to be, but I'm really a b big believer in building systems in your business. And too often, you know, if something goes wrong, we start to try to point fingers at a person instead of looking at the process and looking at the systems in place. Uh, so one of the things I love talking to other companies about is ways to build those systems uh, and processes and document them uh, so that they can be followed by their entire organization. Wonderful. Well, Todd, um, if people did want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Actually, I've got my own website. It's probably the easiest one to remember. It's just Todd, T-O-D-D, at asktoddmiller.com. And it's an educational website we have on metal roofing. Um, but Todd at asktoddmiller.com uh, is a perfect email to reach me. Uh, folks are always welcome to, to call me as well. And they can pick that information up off our website too. So, And what are some of the educational things that you have at toddmiller.com? answer a lot of questions for consumers about roofing and ventilation and other home improvement uh, things. Again, you know, that was part of our goal to get closer to the consumer was to create just a, an educational help. It's not, it's nothing salesy on that website. Um, it's simply trying to build bridges, make connections and help people make wise choices, whether those wise choices involve our products or not. Um, we want to make sure that they make the right choice about roofing their structures. Well, Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for what you're doing. I, I think this is fantastic. Thank you. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com 
or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.